Morena, te fala? Um, just really quick, uh, I was just reminded as I was coming up, uh, Christmas trees. Um, in your newsletter, there's something about Christmas trees. <laughs> I'm still trying to catch up with everything. It's just like this mountain of stuff that I'm trying to catch up with. But, um, what was, who's got a newsletter in front of you? What's the announcement about the Christmas trees? The Christmas tree challenge, thank you. What do you need to do? And bring it in by? <laughs> by four days ago. <laughs> oh, but, oh. oh, yeah, part of the, uh, the, the, the big thing happening on the street here on the 8th, I think. So if you can get it in by the... Um, by the 7th, that'd be great because then we can actually have it as part of what's happening on the street. I'm still catching up on things, so bear with me. Um, so Christmas tree challenge, don't forget. And glad you guys reminded me of that so that I could remind you of that. Amen? Awesome. Now, look, in saying that, you know, I, <laughs> um, this week I was absolutely convinced that Advent was beginning this week, right? And so I had everything planned out because... I don't know, for me, Advent always began right after Thanksgiving. But it's not happening this week, it starts next week. And so I had this whole series planned out, and then I got a call saying, Rob, it's not this week, it's next. I'm like, well, I can't preach next week's sermon this week, because then I'm going to be down a sermon. (laughs) So I kind of razzled myself around, pulled something together, and I kind of butchered next week's sermon, took some parts of it, I put it into here, and then I thought, you know what, with all that's going on in this world today, peace is actually a really good subject to maybe dwell on, and so I thought, I'll do two weeks on peace. And though we haven't officially begun Advent, that happens next week, in preparation for Advent, we want to talk about the coming of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen? So yeah, I am going to dwell on peace. I am going to dwell on this, but I'm going to give you a bit of a history lesson because I think this is actually really, really important. The Jews have been struggling with peace their whole existence. And when you go to the Old Testament, you read these verses like in Jeremiah 8:11, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Ezekiel says something very similar. He says this, because they lead my people astray, saying, peace, when there is no peace, and because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. And somehow, this is a great analogy for how the world feels like today, doesn't it? Peace, peace, but there is no peace. And 2,000 years, or 3,000 years later, these verses ring true then as they do for us today. For the Jews in 66 AD, they had enough of this so-called Pax Romana, peace of Rome. Their overlords, the emperor, they'd had enough, and they broke out in rebellion. They wanted to throw the yoke of this Roman Empire off them. They wanted to take God's promises to heart and literally usher in a new time of having their land back, their serenity back. Even though the irony of this whole thing, the reason why Rome was above them was really because 
they had come into a civil war with each other and the side that was losing asked Rome to come and help. But let's put that aside for a moment. In 66 AD, it broke out. It was called the first uh, Jewish-Roman war and it ended. It began with the first emperor, Vespasian, who was general at the time. And halfway through that, he became emperor. His son, Titus, who was later to become emperor as well, finished it off by destroying Jerusalem and destroying the temple and expelling the people of Israel out of Jerusalem completely. Time of mourning. So, a few years go by, rebellion starts to swell up again, and in 115 AD, the second Jewish-Roman war began, this time with the exiles. They were in Egypt, in Cyprus, it's called the Kittos War, and, and what happened was they broke out, some 200,000 people died in this second war. And they got to the point where the Jews were then expelled from Alexandria, from Egypt, and from Cyprus. So we come to this date, 132 AD. The Romans now have a firm control over the whole of Judea. The Jews aren't allowed in Jerusalem at all. The place has been razed to the ground. The oppression of the Romans is pretty heavy. The emperor at this time is Hadrian, who began just a year after that second Jewish-Roman war. He's now the boss. He's now the big guy. And a guy named Simon Bar Kokhba, he decides that they need to plan an insurrection. And for years, they begin building tunnels under their towns. Tunnels to various areas to escape, to get prepared for ultimately what was an attack on the Romans again. And so without warning, they pop out of these tunnels and kill mercilessly Roman citizens, women, children, men. Some 2,000, according to Roman sources, catches the Romans completely off guard. It leads, it leads to an uprising. The towns in the area all jump up and another war breaks out. And the Romans this time, Hadrian's had enough. He saw what happened to the last one. So he goes to town on the Jews, like nothing before the Romans had ever done. And they say the numbers of death doubled in the third Roman-Jewish war. One historian puts it this way. The Bar Kokhba revolt had catastrophic consequences for the Jewish population in Judea, with profound loss of life, extensive forced displacements, and widespread enslavement, leaving central Judea in a state of desolation. And this was by design. Hadrian didn't want them coming back ever again. Going on, he says, the Jewish religious and political authority was suppressed far more brutally than ever before, and the province of Judea was renamed Syria Palestina or as we know today, Palestine. Does this ring a bell? Kind of history repeating itself. 
What the Jews did to the Romans sounds very much like what the Palestinians have done to the Jews. And what the Romans did to the Jews sounds very much what the Jews are doing to the Palestinians. History has a way of repeating itself. Nothing new. It might be different circumstances, different injustices. Who's right? Who's wrong? And it pains me to see us Christians sometimes taking sides, both proclaiming justice or injustice. But what's missing in all of this? Yeah, amen, Jesus. It's the one thing missing. Jesus, where is the Prince of Peace in all of this? This will repeat itself again. At some point, most probably the Palestinians will swap the roles. They will become the aggressors. And they'll keep playing this role. Why? Because we are all broken. And there is no peace. We're just whitewashing walls. Without Jesus... There can be no peace. History shows us. It's 2,000 years. I, um, last year's Advent, I began with this verse and I unpacked it. When Matthew, who's sharing the gospel to his compatriots, to his Jewish audience, and he's saying to them, this basic verse, in the days of Herod, Jesus was born. For us, we don't think about it, but like I did last year, we unpacked this completely to say this is what it would have meant to people at that time reading it. This was not a time of peace. This was a time of upheaval. It led to 66 AD when the tempers blew open and war began. And right, Jesus was born right in the middle of this melting pot of history where there was no peace. And for the Jew, reading just that simple verse, that, that in the days of Herod, Jesus was born, that would have been, whoa. For us today, it'll be like, in the days of the Twin Towers, Jesus was born. Or in the days of Iraq and Baghdad, or Eritrea and, and Ethiopia, or the Sudan, or Burma. We, we have pictures today clearly of what goes on in all those areas, in all those time frames, the killing fields. We just need to say those words that, you know, a thousand years from now will mean nothing to people. But to us today, they have meaning. Who knows how many more holocausts there will be between now and 2,000 years. But for us today, there's one. That when you say that word, it just brings images to your mind, doesn't it? There have been other holocausts, don't get me wrong. But that word tends to bring, this is what it would have brought up for the Jews. They would be, oh yeah, those days. Yeah, yeah, we remember those days. What a time to be born. And Jesus chose that time to come. What a time. Luke Luke's gospel, ever the doctor, ever the analyst, ever the 
you know, he just kind of breaks it all down for us because he needs to explain. That's the way Luke is. And he writes it down. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first to be taken uh, that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. And as I shared last year, this was a big deal. Think about the 2024 U.S. elections. Who's apprehensive about that? Well, uh, multiply this by 100. The whole point of Caesar Augustus taking a census is for one thing and one thing only. He needs more money. That means we're going to figure out how much we can get from all the people we've got because they all belong to me. And if you're one of those people, this is a very, very uncertain time. There's no, oh, he'll be president for four years and then something else, somebody else will come in and we'll move on. This emperor is in there in perpetuity. He could live for another 40, 50 years. And the questions that we pop up with, the challenges that we're faced with, we don't have these people overlording us, but we do in some ways. When I just talked about the elections next year. For the Jews, this is a photo when we were in um, Israel in 2012. Again, I showed this last year. Uh, I'm pointing towards uh, what looks like a, <laughs> almost looks like a volcano out in the back there. Can you see that? Um, right there. That's called the Herodian. That was Herod's temple. Uh, not temple, sorry. His um, palace. From there, he could see as far to the Dead Sea and he could see all the way to Jerusalem and everybody could see him. And it reminded everyone who was king. Not a Jew, not God, a foreigner, a Gentile, representing Babylon, which is the new Rome. And there in the shadow, you can see over here on, my, on your right, actually you can see the wall that separates the West Bank from Jerusalem, and there is Bethlehem, the town he chose to be born in. In the shadow of kings and empires and injustice, he came. There were questions of who's in charge, what are we going to do, who's, when's it all going to change, what are we going to do about it? These questions that would have been filling people's minds like they fill our minds today. Who's in charge? What's going on with this world? We're in Germany. We're in Munich. A good friend of mine who will be here in a couple of weeks, he, he works for the German military, quite high up there. He's based in Berlin but lives in Munich. And he came down to see us when we arrived in Munich. And we were talking, and then he got busy on the phone call. Next thing you know, he's gone. And then, you know, an hour or so later, he comes back. Um, oh, you wouldn't believe it, but I think war's broken out in Israel. And, and you could just see his face thinking, what's going on with this world? And for the last two years or 18 months, his mind has been solely, the whole focus of the German military is what's going on in the Ukraine. And he says, we can't afford to be distracted with something else, but there's distractions everywhere. What's happening in the world today, Rob? 
You're asking me, right? Who's in charge? When's it all going to change? What should we be doing about it? These are the questions that the first century people were asking that we 2,000 years later are asking as well. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Christmas, this passage says this, he says, that's the trouble with how we've treated Christmas these many years. We've screened out the emperors, and so we've missed the point of the angels. The Christmas story, like Isaiah's prophecy, isn't about an escape from the real world of politics and economics, of empires and taxes and bloodthirsty wars. It's about God addressing these problems at last, from within, coming into our world, his world, and shouldering the burden of authority, coming to deal with the problems of evil, of chaos and violence and oppression in all their horrible forms. And only when we look hard at those promises and come to grips with what they really mean are we able to grasp the real comfort and joy that Christmas does truly provide. Otherwise, we are purchasing a false private comfort at the inflated cost of allowing the rest of the world to continue in its misery. Isn't that a powerful statement? You know, he wrote that 10 years ago. And it is valid 10 years ago as it is today. And as it is 2,000 years ago, Jesus chose to come at a time that there was so much uncertainty. Last year, I remember, I, 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 I listed out all the apocalyptic books that were written in that intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Does anyone remember that? And some of you are like, eh. I don't remember last week's sermon, Rob. <laughs> well, last year I gave you a list of all these books. We've only got fragments of them. That were apocalypse, end times. I mean, it's just like today, by the way, anyway. But back then they had this plethora of books telling that the world was coming to an end. <laughs> Which was crazy. They thought the Roman Empire was, you know, Gog and Magog. They, they really believed it, as we do today. Jesus came, and he didn't come in power. He didn't come with an army behind him. He didn't come to make, you know, to, to show the emperor how wrong he is. He didn't use force or power or even protest. He laid down his life so that we may have hope and new life. How's that for a revolution? How's that for us Christians when we're faced with what we have today in this world? Because let me tell you, power doesn't help. Fighting doesn't help. Arguing the point doesn't help. Jesus had a platform before Pilate and all the Jews where he could have just easily argued his case and he chose to be silent. He, on that cross, could have called down a thousand or ten million angels and that would have proved the point to everybody. But he chose humbly to die on a cross. And 
Philippians that we've just done the series on, chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Your attitude, us, you and me, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is our Jesus. This is who we follow. This is who we are called to be. I, I, was, I was in Ireland. And I mean, I was, I was in this little town in the middle of nowhere. If you listen to last week's sermon, it, 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 literally, and there was a pub. And we, you know, we'd go down there and watch the rugby because the Rugby World Cup was on. And we watched Ireland versus South Africa there. It was a great time. You know, all three people in the town showed up. It was amazing. Um, there's a few more than that, I'm kidding. But, um, and one guy who's a Christian was just, you know, fascinated, and we had some really good discussions, and, and then he was just getting all worked up about political stuff, I can't remember. And I just said to him, hey, I want to talk to you about Jesus. And he looked at me and he goes, are you evangelizing to me? Well, yeah, I, I actually want to share with you who Jesus is, because I think you've missed him. And he just kind of looked at me like, you arrogant so-and-so. Been a Christian longer than you've been alive. I said, look at who we follow. Sometimes we have to be reminded of this. Me too, by the way. We've got to be reminded that he was obedient to this point. No power, no might. Sometimes we need to be reminded who is it that we, we actually follow. Uh, Ray Vanderland, who's, who's a guy who's single-handedly got me completely into history and context in particular. A great Christian man who does, he used to do a lot of tours, he's aged now, but he says this, and this was a number of years ago, he says, Christians are not called to be the power brokers of this world. The power of evil in this world seems so big so powerful, so overwhelming, what can we few people actually do? But you know what you are called to believe? No matter what it looks like out there, no matter how big Hollywood is, no matter how powerful Wall Street is, no matter how evil pornography seems, no matter how undefeatable hunger, racism, and disease appear to be, Jesus Christ is King. It's not Herod, it's not the devil, it's not evil, it's not political parties, it's not wars, it's not power brokers, it's not any of that, it is God. And I think we forget this sometimes. And Christmas reminds us that the most powerful being on this planet chose to come in the form of a baby helpless and defenseless in the hands of two teenage kids at a time when the world was turned upside down. And here we are today, reminded as we come in next week into Advent, we're reminded of this kid, this baby. And honestly, where that leads to, 
the cross. He who we follow, he who we call king, he who we give our all to and who we imitate. And amen to that because you know what? I've tried. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but I've tried changing people. It doesn't work. Starting in my own household. (laughs) I'm going to get into trouble for that one. (laughs) Yep, there we go. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. See, I've already started a war. I didn't even say three things. Praise be to God that I don't have to use any power. I've got no power. We have no power. This world has no power. It is Jesus who is king. He is king. So, to leave you, I'm going to be doing this far more often than I used to, and it's one thing that I've taken from being away, is I'm going to give you homework. Yes. Hey, there's a kid over here who went, yes. The rest of you are like, oh. Good on you, mate. I'm with you all the way. Okay, I'm going to give you homework because I don't want you to just walk away with Rob doing a great sermon and that's it, we move on with our lives. I want you to dwell on this. So the first thing I want you to do is look at this verse. Write it down, take a photo of it if you need to so you'll remember because this is what I want you to be reading this week. This is what I want to challenge you. I've actually said read the verse, but actually I don't want you to just read it. I want you to dwell on it. I want you to just take some time to dwell on that and what that means for you. Go home this week, when you're at work, when you've got time, just dwell on it. You don't have to do anything fancy. You don't need to read any commentaries. I just want you to dwell on this passage. And two action points on that is, I want you to actually pray this verse over your household. You don't need to tell them anything. You don't need to be showy about it. In your prayers, just pray it over your household. And then... Let's, let's make a, take a step of faith, and I want you to share this verse. Get somebody, encourage one person this week to read it. <laughs> it can be somebody in your household. Don't, don't get freaked out, oh, I'm going to go out there and tell them. No, it's organic, guys. Don't go out there with a prescribed uh, thing from Rob saying, I have to tell somebody this now. It could be your partner, it could be your kid, it could be your parent, it could be a friend. You could encourage somebody in this room. Have you read the verse this week? Encourage one another. Don't wait for whatever happens on a Sunday to be challenged. Do it with each other, amen? Amen. Well, next week we begin with Advent. And I'll, pre- I'll preach on peace again, but next week we're going to talk about what it means for Jesus, peace. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. Let us pray. Father God, <laughs> there's so much going on, not just in the world, but even in our own lives, Lord, there's so much going on. And we read and we open up our news feeds and find more and more this world is turned upside down. And, and for some of us, we wake up in the morning and feel our own lives are turned upside down. Father, we 
We can't keep whitewashing walls. I pray, Lord, that the, your peace, the peace that we can only find in you, reign in our lives. Holy Spirit, the corners of our lives where we know wars are raging, I pray for your peace in there. And we pray for our world around us, Lord. A world that desperately needs you, Jesus, you. Because we've shown in 2,000 years or 4,000 years or 10,000 years or how many thousands of years that on our own, we're a bit of a mess. We need your peace, Lord. We are your people, so help us to be the face of that peace. The only side we take is the side of Jesus. May he reign in our lives. May you reign in our lives, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing, I stand amazed how marvelous. Great hymn.